This is the Frontier of Finance, the podcast that covers the hottest new funds and important milestones of marquee funds in Canada. On the Frontier, we go directly to the source, interviewing portfolio managers, executives, and sales leaders at the top asset management firms. Stay on top of the latest innovations, react to market trends, and make better investment decisions for your clients. I'm your host, James Rockwood, and I'm welcoming you to the Frontier of Finance. Welcome back, everyone. We're glad to be back for our mid-season break, and I'm pumped to kick off the second half of this season with today's guest. This is their first time on the show, and I'm excited to get into the recently announced fund, which allows Canadians to invest in venture capital. You may have come across this fund's waitlist in early April, and today, we'll dive into how it works and why the fund was created. If you haven't guessed it yet, I'd like to welcome Ben Reeves, the Chief Investment Officer at Wealthsimple. Ben has previously led asset allocation research and portfolio risk management teams at Bridgewater Associates, as well as consulted at McKinsey & Company. He's a registered advising representative or portfolio manager in Canada, and as CIO, he oversees the investment strategy, security selection, and new fund creation at Wellsimple. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Frontier. Uh, Thanks, James. Uh, Really excited to be here. Let's dive into this. What does the Canadian landscape look right now for retail investors who want to leverage private investments in their portfolios? So when we looked at the insurance available to us, and we thought this was an interesting asset class for our investors, we didn't see anything we really wanted to put our clients in and didn't see a lot of opportunities for the average retail or, or high net worth investor to access really high quality private investments. Uh, in addition to the availability of funds in Canada, you have to be an accredited investor, which means it's based on a number of criteria, including net worth and, and income. So private equity and, and private investments in general are limited to a smaller percentage of Canadians and, and access to, to the best ones are, are even more limited. Yeah, it seems like there's a big trend right now uh, in asset management to provide access to a lot more private products because there's so few companies are actually public. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get exposure to things than you know just investing in in pure uh, equity markets. And so it's it's awesome to see something else that's kind of entering into this. As we're diving in and talking a little bit more about types of private investments, I'd love to know a bit about if you can just do a quick explanation of of what venture capital is, compare it maybe to private equity, which I know gets mixed up a little bit between the two. It'd be great to just, for our listeners, do a, do a brief explanation of the difference. Uh, sure. So venture capital, it's a way of investing in private companies. Uh, so in that, in that sense, very similar to private equity, but the type of company is different. So it's investing in earlier stage companies, often in technology, although not always, uh, that have the potential for like outsized growth. And the really hard thing about VC is it's a limited industry and a lot of the profits come from a few firms and companies. And it's like it's small relative to capital markets and, and to private markets and to private equity. Uh, so it's, it's kind of this, it gets a lot of press, but it's kind of this, this niche smaller corner of private markets and, and of capital markets. I think the other thing that's, that's interesting about VC is the company you're investing in has to agree to be invested in. So it, it's not like in public markets where you can, you know, you can just buy, you believe in Amazon, you can buy, buy a share. Like these networks and brands and ability to add value matter a lot for getting access to the best investments. 
And the, in venture, there are these really interesting winner-takes-all dynamics. So returns come from power law companies, companies with, with a ton of growth. This is really different from private equity, private credit, and, and real estate, basically because, you know, say if you're investing in an office building, say the office building does really well, you, know, you increase the cash flows, maybe you're able to package it up for a bigger investor, reduce the cap rate. You're still not going to, say, take over an industry the way that, uh, you know, just going back to Amazon, with, 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 which was also VC funded, did. Uh, so there's, like, there's a different dynamic to these technology companies where, where the potential for growth and failure uh, is a lot higher. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's an interesting dynamic, too, that I never thought about is that you need to agree to be invested in as kind of a, a baseline just to talk about some of the the fundamental differences between sort of private and public markets is uh, it's it's a neat contrast. And so you talked about it a little bit at the start of this, but how accessible is this sort of asset class to a retail Canadian investor? So anybody who has money who's looking to invest in venture, um, how 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 accessible is it today? For our fund, we're making it available to anybody for whom it's suitable. And that means basically you can handle illiquidity, uh, meaning you can handle locking up part of your money for, you know, for about 10 years. For other smaller investors, we haven't really seen much that that is accessible, but I'm also not a, not a super expert on the market. So th- there may be things that I'm not aware of. Uh, we're just not aware of a, a lot of great options out there. So, so at a high level, it's generally inaccessible, but then you're creating a fund that's going to allow it to be more accessible to, to more people. And I think that that helps us transition nicely into talking a bit about Wealthsimple's newly announced fund, the Wealthsimple Venture Fund 1. Can you tell us about the fund, why Wealthsimple decided to offer something like this to Canadian investors, and how you've been able to make it accessible to more people? Yeah, so uh, just the basics of the fund, it gives clients access to about 10 venture capital managers from seed to growth stage. Seed meaning really starting out with an idea and growth stage meaning you found product market fit and you're trying to, say, scale to you know be a, a really great iconic company. And then also about the same number of growth equity managers. Uh, growth equity here means you're investing in bootstrap software companies that will probably only raise one round of funding. And you're using that funding to make operational improvements or add-on acquisitions to, to try to get some scale. We really like that combination because you get a little bit more predictability out of the growth equity, and then you get the, the potential for these sort of power law returns from the venture capital. And, and then for the growth equity, you start seeing distributions in, in year four or five, which is, which is an attractive feature relative to you know, venture, which can, which can take much longer. To construct it, we, we partnered with Accolade Partners, which is one of the oldest fund-to-fund managers. They're based in the U.S., and they have a consistent track record of top quartile returns. That's relative to venture managers, not just uh, you know not just fund-to-funds. And we think that's that's a really important part is because these relationships are the, the the VC industry really runs on these relationships, and so being in those networks and tapping into those networks uh, is crucial. And so we offered it to clients because uh, a lot of the wealth creation in recent history, and we think this will still be the case going forward, uh, is happening in private markets and with technology-intensive companies. Uh, so we're really excited to give our clients access. Uh, it, it's a way that we can give access to, the, to this sort of this, this niche of the market and the potential for, uh, you know, for, for more wealth creation. And then we think we can do it because we have a couple of advantages. I think advantage one is the success is, is getting access to these top-tier VCs. 
given our history, it's well simple. We have a lot of relationships with VCs. Uh, in our investing team, uh, we all come from institutional relationship or institutional investors. Uh, so we have a lot of these relationships. And so we, we thought we could use these relationships and this sort of institutional access to give you know more your, your everyday investor that, this kind of access. Then I think the second edge we have is we can build great intuitive technology at scale. We have great product managers, great engineers, you know, and a great culture of really thinking through from a client's experience, you know, what is this technology going to look like? How do we do it efficiently and so on? And, and, and that's that's another thing that's really hard about private investments is the infrastructure is pretty clunky. And we think we can design experiences that people love and sort of abstract away from that, from that uh, rougher experience. It's an interesting way to construct it too, because you're, I think for, for people to understand, you're investing in venture funds, so you're not sort of directly investing in individual startups or, or companies. You're investing in people who are doing that, but you're also combining it with the growth equity investors who are investing in inherently more mature businesses that already have cash flow or a little bit more predictable. And so you've got a nice kind of base of high potential companies with more predictable returns, as well as some of those higher risk, earlier stage venture and startup groups that are also going to be there. So you've got a nice blend of the two kind of types of return or two potential of return uh, in the fund. I think that's a that's a neat way to to do it, and I think it gives people a lot of good exposure to uh, a lot of potential companies. Yeah, and then the thing you're worried about, especially putting an investor with less wealth in these sorts of funds, is is how do you actually be diversified? You know, putting it all in a fund structure and then having these different kinds of return streams, uh, you know, it can be very helpful. And then how would an investor benefit from investing in this kind of private investment? What do you think it offers them that some of the more uh, traditional type investments, say like a balanced growth portfolio? And would you say it's a good addition? How would you try to produce it if you were combining, if you were investing? I think for any investor, the core of your portfolio should be a diversified set of financial assets like stocks and bonds, where there's you're basically just trying to get the risk premium from from owning those assets, and, and you'll probably do pretty well over time. This kind of investment is an addition if you want to add active management. And then with active management, you basically want to make sure there's a logical reason why your you know your, your active manager is going to outperform. And, and so we think this this fund, there are logical reasons why, why they might outperform. So we, we would just put it into that context. So a minority of your capital, you know, but something that, that, that you can have more confidence in than say a stock picker, which, which a lot of our, our, a lot of individual investors, you know, think that's the way that you can, uh, you know, try to get excess returns. And, you know, I think the other thing that you get out of this is, is more behavioral and, and emotional. I think behaviorally you abstract away from all the volatility. Right, like the the last ten years in, in say U.S. equities returns have been spectacular. There, you know, there's still have been about five times that have been really, really scary. You know, including the current one. And then, it, you know, there's just a benefit from not marking to market where where you don't see that. And I think that the, the last thing is investing is, is for the long term is a grind. It's like scary because you see all this volatility, uh, but it's also boring. There's not much you can do. The, what you need to do is, is just continue saving out of your paycheck, continue investing, and you'll probably do pretty well over time. And then with private investments, there's, there's, you can feel more of a connection to your portfolio, and it gives you some more of that interest and excitement. Maybe you won't trade, and maybe you'll just say, okay, you know, this is the interesting, exciting part of, of our portfolio. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. We've had a lot of guests on the podcast who've talked about investing in products and companies that you know are things that are tangible and that you can touch as a really nice way to connect with your investments and to feel a bit more conviction than necessarily something that you you don't understand or something you you don't have a lot of exposure to. And I think that's that's right. It, you know, people are hearing all the time ventures obviously in the headlines. It's in the news cycle. People are going to be hearing about it. So knowing they're able to get exposed to it, um, knowing some of the managers they're able to get exposed to can really make that connection with an investor to to make them feel like they're they're on for the ride because investing is many things. Um, it's also a journey. It's also a story, and I think that it's interesting to have opportunities for people to be able to to have really tangible things they're investing in. And so that's that's a that's a good point. It's a neat point. Yeah, and then when you when you look at public markets, uh, investors tend to invest in in, uh, in companies that they know, and that's not actually a great signal for uh, size returns. It can be a you know it, it can actually be a negative signal. These these kind of retail favorite stocks. So I think there's there's an advantage to sort of that that professionalization. Uh, you, you'll probably end up in a better place than you would if you're, say, just investing in, in companies uh, you've heard of. And so this is an awesome fund for somebody to have some growth opportunity for outsized growth in their portfolio. So it's sort of a it's more of a minority stake, but something that allows you to be connected to the investments. Something that allows you to to get some potential additional return. So. How are you expecting the new venture fund to perform against other types of private equity? I mean, I think that the basic answer is is we don't know, and there there could be a, a wide range of outcomes. You you see that in, in any manager and fund. W- with that said, we believe in this manager, we believe in the investment process and its track record, and we believe in the quality of the VC managers, um, and we we believe in the logic for why a certain set of managers will outperform. And so historically, that's earned them a sizable premium over competitive funds and managers, and also a sizable premium uh, over public markets. With that said, you know we, we can't be certain, so we think portfolio construction and sizing is really, really important. We don't want, as I mentioned before, we, we don't really want people taking the majority of their risk in a single, you know, fund to fund vintage. You know, even if you wanted to build up your private portfolio over time. You know, it, it's important to leg in and, you know, and make sure that, that you know, you're really thinking about the, the potential range of outcomes and the dispersion. And, and then for this fund, is it sort of something you can buy and sell on a delay? Do you have a lockout period? You know, how, how does people actually invest in, in this and how long are they in for the ride? Uh, yeah, so this would uh, usually be part of your, your well simple portfolio, you know, which would be we have different kinds of styles of stocks, uh, you know, geographically and so on. And then this would be about a this would be a, a locked in portfolio where you really shouldn't expect your money back for about ten years. And then when we look at our investors, you know we do see a lot of them are, are, are disciplined. They continue to save. They continue to invest over time. And so we, we think it's a, a, a good addition uh, for them. And, and their edge really is this discipline and, and waiting over time for market returns. But you you have to sort of have that timeline that the, the ten plus year timeline for uh, for investing. We're seeing a ton, as I mentioned at the outset, we're seeing a ton of new ways for retail investors to diversify their portfolios, to find new asset classes to get exposure to, to continue to open up private markets. What trends are you tracking that might open some new ways for retail investors to diversify their portfolios? It's kind of interesting where, where typically when you see a sell-off, you see a lot of a lot of interest in more diversifying strategies. Uh, 
But right now, because it's kind of removing liquidity for the market, most everything is selling off, say, outside of commodities and, and some long short strategies. So I think the winners will be sort of once this, this immediate rate cycle stops and then we see what happens. Is there a growth surprise? Is there a, a, a growth shock? I think the, the strategies that outperform in, in this next phase will probably be where investors are most interested in finding diversification. I guess a few things I wonder, though, I think factor premium have been out of fashion, but I think if implemented well, they can be helpful diversifiers. You know, you're seeing like a value rotation. Uh, it's challenging to implement through ETFs. You probably need to get somebody uh, who's skilled at doing that. I think in rising rate environments, we're seeing a lot more interest in, in floating rate offerings and real estate and infrastructure, uh, particularly real estate. Uh, people are interested in REITs, but they really should be interested in cash flows that will reset with, uh, with inflation. And we're also seeing interest in thematic offerings, even though they're not great investments. It's, you know, more sort of, you know, this is intuitive to me. I think the world's going to change in this way. Um, we've avoided offering them, but we wonder, you know, how can we help investors channel these instincts? You know, kind of to our earlier point about like, let, let's have a, a greater connection to our portfolio, but but trying to channel them into, into investments that are maybe more productive. And then... To finish off, love to know. I mean, we we cover new new products. Always excited to cover more new products. Are there any other investment offerings, funds, etc. that Wealthsimple has recently launched or that you are potentially launching soon? Yeah, one thing that that we're really interested in doing is helping fund the uh, the carbon and the climate transition. We have a, a couple uh, equity ETFs in the market. Uh, we just launched a green bond fund, which you know it, it's bonds that are verified for having an environmental or, or social impact. So they, they are really impact investing, which which is, I think, what most ESG investors want those products to be, but they're not. It's really hard to get impact through listed equities. So we're exploring, you know, what else can we do that will actually have impact? Can we stand behind? You know, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll meet this need for investors. And then I think the other thing we're looking at is, you know, how do we, uh, you know, how can we creatively offer private investment opportunities? Canadians, the the venture is one asset class, and we think it's a it's a good product. But if we think about, uh, say, you're saving for retirement, what does that portfolio look like? There are other things that that we think we can offer, and we're looking at how do we do that. That's awesome. I think it's really great to see how many new asset classes are being available, or exposure to different asset classes are becoming available for. Canadians and, and foreign investors to be able to add new elements of diversification that they haven't necessarily been able to do previously. So it's it's exciting. It's exciting to cover this product. It's exciting to chat a bit more about some of the opportunities. So I really appreciate your time today, Ben. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks, Jane, for having me. This was great. It's an exciting time for retail investors who are looking to explore new asset classes and further diversify their portfolios. There are so many funds providing Canadians with new opportunities to invest in private companies. This is an incredibly exciting time and also makes it more important than ever to connect with your clients, understand their needs and provide them with targeted solutions to meet their financial goals. It's easy for a client to feel overwhelmed by the options out there or to feel worried about the prospect of missing out Conversations that focus on their holistic financial goals and interests can help clients feel more in control of their financial future. I'd like to thank Ben Reeves again for joining me today and for sharing his insights on the Wealthsimple Venture Fund One. 
If you like what you hear today, drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on new episodes. We'll see you next time on The Frontier.